0: Take your Bible this morning and turn with me in the New Testament, if you would, to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number six. Tonight's service, I want to encourage you to be here. Is there a reason that God has blessed America? We say it all the time. We sing about it. God bless America. But is there a Bible reason? Is there an explanation for the blessing of God? And we'll combine part of that study tonight with a biblical worldview of Israel. You can't uh, look at the geopolitical maps of Europe and Asia, uh, the rising of China, the king of the east, and the bear, Russia. All these things have to be viewed through the word of God. If you don't, you won't understand what's going on in the world. And so... uh, This little piece of real estate literally could change the world forever. We're that close, and we'll try to cover part of that uh, tonight. If you're looking at Ephesians with me, I want to read verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of Of the devil. If I were to read that in the Greek New Testament, it would talk a little bit about the tricks or the snares. There's even one uh, that even talks about the ambush of the devil. You're looking one way, but then the attack comes from another side. And God's saying, You need to be aware of this. And then look at verse 12. That's our text verse for the day. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities of powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now hold your finger there, and we're going to study there in just a moment. But for a moment or two, let's connect some dots from last night till today. In case you were not here last night, or you're listening on the radio, or you're watching online, that you can be able to assimilate this information and put it together from the Word of God. On our last session, we talked with a scripture out of Matthew 24, verses 1 through 8. Our focus verse was verse number 8. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Or you could say, all these are the beginning of the end. When did it start? When did that countdown begin for our generation? And then we can ask this question, <clears throat> what prophetic day are we living in? I was in a seminar a few weeks ago, and some of the pastors had a Q&A time, and they said, Brother Ralph, if you study the scriptures, where would you put the church? And I said, I believe I would stick the church in the book of Jude right before the Revelation of the, of the Antichrist and what's getting ready to happen. But last night, remember, we walked through the scriptures here a little bit. We went from Genesis 1 all the way down to Genesis 12, 2,000 years. From Genesis 13 to Acts 2, 2,000 years. And then from Acts 3, we walked up to the book of Revelation, to where we're living right now today, another 2,000 years. The Bible says... A day with the Lord is as what? A thousand years as a what? One day. So we've had, excuse me, six days. And I think this one's mine. Excuse my allergy, so I apologize. Too many hours on a plane. Uh, So what we're having is we're seeing this together. This adversity of six days, six literal days, knowing that this is not our home, this is not the end. The Bible says when the Lord comes, we'll enter into what? A millennial reign, a thousand years of peace on earth. Now, if I review this correctly, uh, two days, four days, and six days, we're living in the end of that sixth day. We're in the last few hours right before the Lord comes. And at any moment, we're going to hear the sounding of the trumpet and we're going to have the dead in Christ rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with him. And so between that sounding of the trumpet and the saints going home and the millennial reign of Christ, that seventh day, then we're going to have something called the tribulation. And the Bible talks about that this is days the world has never known. If you can only imagine the horror and the unbelievable brutality of October 7 and what uh, Hamas did, uh, the terrorists, when they went into southern Israel, can you imagine what it's going to be on this earth, the violence, after the Holy Spirit is withdrawn? It's hard to believe. Days, (laughs) excuse me, days the world has never known. I apologize, church. Nothing like coming to speak and lose your voice. (laughs) So, I was at the Dead Sea a few days ago. And while I was there, uh, I met with this gentleman and we were talking about the dramatic drop in the water, the the water that's dropping the Dead Sea. It's disappearing. And uh, we were talking about how dramatic it has happened. We know where the prophecy says that when Jesus Christ comes, he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. It's going to split open. And there's gonna be a river of fresh water come running out. It'll run down to the Wadi Kelt, which is in your Bible the valley of the shadow of death. It will run down past Jericho and into the Dead Sea. It will heal the waters. And according to the Old Testament prophets, that they will be there will be fish again in the Dead Sea. And guess what? They'll dry their nets. At a place called Engedi. That's where David hid from Saul. And that cave is still there. Matter of fact, the week I was there, they found four Roman swords in that old cave from 2,000 years ago. So it was all in there, all these prophecies merging together, coming together. And when we think about them, Uh, fishing again and seeing that sea healed all of those are things that are going to happen as the church is raptured out and the world keeps dealing with what they have to with the coming of the Lord (coughs) excuse me this gentleman said he said "Uh, you know about the mineral wealth of this land and I said I certainly do and he said guess what we have discovered? And I said, well, I know there's some new chemicals you've discovered. And he said, yes, that's true. He said, but we've discovered that the potash wealth, that's fertilizer, that the potash wealth of the Dead Sea is so powerful, so great, so immense, that we can fertilize every farm on every continent around the world for 1,000 years. And I said, would you say that again? Because I think we're getting ready to have a millennial reign of Christ for 1,000 years. He said, there's enough potash to fertilize every farm around the world on every continent for 1,000 years. Ladies and gentlemen, you are living in the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. And so, There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We talked about the six days, and then we've got this seventh day coming, then tribulation, then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, having said all that, let's go back to what we reviewed last night in Matthew 24, the three questions that the disciples asked the Lord Jesus. Number one, they said uh, in Matthew 24, when shall these things be? Number two, they asked the Lord Jesus, what shall be the sign of thy coming? And then number three, what will be the sign of the end of this world? Now, you know what's wonderful about human nature? It is still human nature. That was questions 2,000 years ago. Guess what? We're still asking the same questions today. Everybody wants to know, What is going to be the sign of the Lord's coming? How close are we to the coming of the Lord? And in this auditorium and watching on television and the internet and listening on the radio, there are only two people groups. And that's the burden of First Baptist is you know that there's only two people groups. There's the believer and there's the unbeliever. There's the saved and the lost. There's no middle ground. And God commissioned all of us to do what you're going to do next Tuesday by the help of the Lord. You're going to have the largest outreach you've ever had as a church. You're going to saturate this part of the country, Illinois and Indiana with the gospel. Why? Because we are running out of time. And if we believe what we say we believe, we've got to be about the Father's business. We've got to go into the highways and hedges and take the gospel message. And so we know that this is no respecter of person, either you're a believer, you're a non-believer, it doesn't matter if you're young, you're old, you're rich, you're poor, uh, God doesn't have any classifications other than those who believe and those who don't believe. Now, uh, during the Iraqi war, uh, I did a television program about the war in and Iraq and, and the Uh, impending danger to the nation of Israel. And when I did that, we put some things on television and some specialty maps and talked about uh, what was going to happen through the Straits of Hormuz and then uh, the battle groups stationed in the Mediterranean, the Red Sea. We put all those up. And a few days later, my secretary buzzed me and said, there's a visitor in the front office And he'd like to see you. And I said, well, sure. Uh, I'll be right out. So I came outside. And there was a gentleman standing there, uh, uh, very crisp looking, very, had an attaché case, had some tubes rolled up under his arm. And I walked out and uh, he introduced himself. And I said, could I help you? And he said, are you the Ralph Sexton that's on television? I said, yes, sir. He said, are you the Ralph Sexton that uh, put maps up uh, on the screen about the coming war? And I said, yes, sir. And He reached over and handed me his micar. United States Army Intelligence, Lieutenant Colonel. He said, I need to meet with you privately. And I said, okay, that'll be fine. So I walk back into the office, and he takes one of those tubes, opens it up, rolls it out. It's got a big... Banner Across the Top, Top Secret, and rolls it out. And he said, I need to ask you some questions, sir. He said, where did you get your map that you had on the TV screen? And he said, where did you get your map that had the troop movements and the Marines coming in? And you were talking about Kuwait, and you were talking about Iraq and Iran. He said, where did you get all the arrows you had? And I said, from a high source. And he said, how high? And I said, it's higher than the Pentagon, higher than the White House. He said, well, where did you get that information? I said, every bit of it came out of the Word of God. And he said... Man, he said, I'm so glad you said that. My general's a Christian. I'm a Bible believer. He wanted me to come by here. If you got any more teachings that we can take with us? He said, we're going to take them. We depart out of uh, Fort Bragg day after tomorrow. We don't want to step on the Bible as we go to war. See, ladies and gentlemen, there are people around the world that know something's about to happen. They can sense something's about to happen. And God's got his people in places we would never dream that they know the Bible is the answer for the day and hour that we're living in. When we begin to realize this and look at this, then the scriptures to help us understand. If I could prove to all the Baptists in the world and all the Christians in America that Jesus is coming this coming Friday. If I could take my my computer and my maps and I could take the uh, very uh, illustrations from the feast days, and I put it all on the big screen, and I say, here it is. I've laid it out. No doubt about it, Jesus is coming Friday. Do you know what the church would do? you know what the Baptists would do? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing till Thursday. We're Baptists. <laughs> then Thursday, we're going to have us a revival meeting. The Lord's coming in the morning because... Uh, we'd, we'd have a revival. Your front yard would look like a flea market. People bringing back lawnmowers and boats and fishing rods. Uh, Fred, I don't know how this skill saw got in my garage, but Lord's coming in the morning. I want to give it back to you. I've only had it 12 years. And and they'd be restoring, and then they'd go be kissing and making up with their mother in law. Lord's coming in the morning, Mom. I'm sorry. <laughs> Making all the being pastor's office, writing a check. Uh, we got up this morning, Mom and I went to the bank. We cashed a CD. And Brother John, 25,000 for missions, uh, 25,000 for the radio. Here's 50 for the college. Oh, he knows that check's not going to clear. The Lord's coming in the morning. That's human nature. And so what did God do? God hid it so that no man would know when he's coming. We're to live every day like it's our last day. And God put that excitement in our heart that today is the day of salvation. Prophecy, what is the purpose of it? It is what? To be comforted. It's not to be spectacular. It is to comfort the church. And the Bible warns us that right before the Lord comes back, there's gonna be spiritual warfare. He said, I don't want you to forsake the word and I don't want you to forsake the house of God. Comfort the saved people. He is coming. Warn the lost. Christ is coming. Don't wait too late. And this is a thing that you want to do. Let me give you three things to write down that you'll take home with you today from this session. Let me give you three things to write down. Number one, if I believe the Lord is coming, I want to be right with God. I don't want to hope so, think so, maybe so. I want to be right with God. I want to know that I have been born again. Well, I I don't want you to hold on to what your sweet grandmother said you said when you're four years old. I want you to know. Your grandmama's sweet, and you were cute as a button when you were four. But you've got to know as an adult that I have been born again. Not a hope so, not a think so, not a maybe so. But you know that you know you've been born again. And you've got to have that. I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about spiritual ritual. I'm talking about a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we've got to have. If that happens to the house of God, it doesn't matter if you're in the balcony of the main floor or watching in an overflow. I promise you it'll change this church It'll change your marriage. It'll change your family. And it'll change the life of every church in America when we live like we believe that the Lord is coming back. Number two, I want you to not only know that you're right with God, but here's the second thing to write down. I want you to write down that you need to be right with your fellow man, that you need to be right with each other. Now this, listen, You want to change a church, you change the marriages. Mom and dad, our kids know, our teenagers, our grown children know when mom and dad are at each other, when they're fussing. Tell your daddy to pass the salt. They know that wasn't a good night the night before. And she says, you tell your daddy to grab a vine if he thinks he's Tarzan and swing on down here and get it. You know, they they, they can feel that tension. And what God's wanting us to do is is that we, if I believe he's coming, I want to be right with him, but then I've got to go this way. I've got to reach out to my marriage. I've got to reach out. Parents, right with children. Children, right with parents. In-laws, relatives, outlaws, those that we don't even like. we got to get right. You say, they lied on me. They stole from me. They got part of my dad's inheritance. They took antiques out of my grandmother's house. Is that going to matter in a few hours? No, it's foolishness. And, and, and we, Listen, church, we can't spend our time, our energy, and our money fighting the church across town, fighting the church in another state. Listen, God calls men. Men are individuals. They have different ways and approaches of taking the Word of God. If they're faithful to the book and the inerrancy of the book, then don't spend your time and energy shooting at somebody else. Talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. Get the church ready. The king is coming. We need to heal the house and we got to heal the house of God and we got to get back to praying and believing that this is the most important thing. We got to have revival and there's only one place for it to begin. It's at the house of God. You know what Jesus said about it? He said some have lost their first love. That's what he said. Do you remember dating? Do you remember falling in love with your wife? You say, well, you you don't know what I married. You don't know what I have to live with. Bless God, I didn't pick her out. That was on you. What you've got to understand is God is dealing with us on a personal level if I say I believe what I say I believe, I've got to get right with God. I've got, it, it has to begin here. I can't blame anyone else at First Baptist. got to be with me. Not my brother, not my sister. It's me, oh, Lord. And God knows when we got a grudge. God knows when we have hard feelings. You know, I, I started working when I was 14. My dad signed for me, and I had a dream car. I wanted to buy this car And and I I was saving my money. I saved every penny, whether I mowed grass or whether I worked at the Winn-Dixie store, everything. And I'm almost 17 years old, I get the money for a down payment on my car. I had a little 57 Chevrolet convertible, baby blue, with a white naga high top. I had fender skirts. I had a little 283 engine. I took it over to the engine shop. I had it bored out to 300 cubic inches of raw power. I had three two-barrel carburetors. I had a Hurst mystery shifter. I had a, a, a Corvette clutch, and I had a three-quarter-ton truck rear end in the back of that thing, racing slicks on the back. I had burn a half a tank of gas to school and a half a tank coming home. I bought a set of tires every two weeks, put a clutch in every month. Because I was burning those casings all the time, and I had my little car. Listen, you could eat your lunch off the block of that engine. My dipstick going into the engine block was chrome. That's where I bowed down and worshipped. That was my car, and and you know what? And you go to pick up your date, and you stop about a block from their house, you know, and then you get out those, open the trunk, get out those baby diapers. And you begin to polish those baby moons on the side of that and and polish the points up on that Chevy and wipe the dust off, drop that top down, turn Elvis on. Man, and then you drive on up to go knock on. Are you ready? Yes. Come on. Hold. Now you watch your step right here. Don't you fall on these steps. Come right on. Yes, ma'am. Come right. Let me. Just you sit yourself right in there. Close that door. Walk around. Get in there. Get in where you want to go, baby. I don't care where you want to get. Oh, uh, you just name it. We're gonna go. You wanna go to the moon? I'm your rocket man. <laughs> Here we huh? Couldn't do anything. Perfect. Get married, have some kids. Three years later, she's walking up the sidewalk holding one, got one holding on to the back of her dress. She's kicking 10 pounds of potatoes, got two bags of groceries, and you're up on the front porch. Hurry up, old lady. I ain't got all day. That's losing your first love. And if we're not careful, we'll do the same thing at the house of God. And we'll get cold. We'll get careless. We'll lose our tears. lose our burden. And all of a sudden, soul winning is mechanical. All of a sudden... Driving a bus, well, I've got to. Well, all of a sudden, teaching a class, all of a sudden, singing in the choir. This is not what we have to do to go to heaven. It's what we love to do because we've been born again. Our lives have been changed, and we're thanking God for changing our world and our circumstance. This is the power that's going to change the world. This is the light that's going to pierce the darkness is when I get right with my fellow man. Then I begin to see those lost people Then number three, you write this down. Not only do I want to be right with God, not only do I want to be right with my fellow man, but number three, I don't want to leave anyone behind that I love. You say, what do you mean? Well, if I believe the Lord's coming and I believe that he could come at any moment, then what's the next thing after the church disappears? The judgment of God. And the tribulation begins. And there's a place called hell. And there's a place called the lake of fire. And God wanted all of us to know that today is the day of salvation. I don't have time to take all of this apart because of, of, of being a Sunday morning. But, but if we had time to walk through it, this next level of seminars on what we are and what we're facing, if I'm standing here And I'm facing my future. And I'm going to stand in front of a holy God. Either I'm saved or I'm not saved. There's no negotiation. There's no middle ground. Either I'm born again or I'm not born again. And if I'm not born again, then guess what's happening? I'm found guilty by the law of God. and was it the song you mentioned last night? Had the, the the scripture, the one place eternity's found the Word of God? Eternity, we don't talk about it. But that's forever and ever and ever. And th- that's the push for the church. We get caught up in today, we get caught up in the games, we get caught up in the. Po- this is not us. We're pilgrims, we're passing through, we're headed into eternity. And the devil all the time tries to pull me away from looking to the eternity side of this and to get caught up in the daily foolishness of what we're facing. Watch what happens. If I'm not saved, and then I go stand in front of God, guess what happens? God looks in the Lamb's Book of Life, see if my name's there, and if my name's not there, then he adjudicates, he judges me. Uh, In North Carolina... We we have a a system of laws, and and if a man's found guilty of a capital offense, a woman found guilty of a capital offense, then the jury hears the case, the defense presents their case, prosecution presents their case, the jury comes back and says, you've broken all the laws, you're guilty, here's the proof, and will they give it to the judge? Then what does the judge do? He takes the ruling of the jury... And then when he takes that, he takes the law of the land, the book of law. That's the standard for the state of North Carolina, or the state of Illinois, or the state of Indiana. It's the law. And then he gavels the law. By the law of the state of North Carolina, I've found you now guilty of a capital f- offense. You're now to be sentenced to death. You will give your life in payment for your sin and transgression against your fellow human beings. That same principle of earth is going to happen spiritually. And we'll stand in front of a holy God. And according to the Word of God, even Christian people are going to give an account. We're going to be held accountable. Did I waste my time? Did I waste my talents? Did I waste my treasure? Or, or did I give my life as a Christian for the Lord? And for the lost person, he's going to be judged. Your name's not found in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're going to be bound, hand and foot, and then what happens? They're cast into what? Lake of fire. Now, let me help you understand something. I, I, if you understand hell in the Word of God, it's in the heart of the earth. We know that when Jesus went to the cross, he went down to the heart of the earth. He released those that were held in captivity in paradise. And we know on the other side was a great gulf, and that's hell. It's interesting that the rich man could look from hell over that gulf and see Father Abraham. and said, would you send Lazarus? I'm tormented in this flame. But after Jesus comes... He defeats the devil, he takes the keys, death, hell, and the grave, ties them to himself, takes the captive, goes to heaven. Then hell has continued from that day. And every now and then the magma of the earth comes spewing out volcanoes. And the Bible teaches us, Bible believers, that hell is what? It's enlarging itself. More and more people are dying without Christ. More and more people are dying without Christ. You know what they do down in North Carolina? After that judge does this, I sent you to die. According to the law, you died then. You're dead. It's over. You're a dead man. So how do, how do they handle it? You, you go down on death row and for an hour to go to the shower or the wreck on that death row. They shackle your feet. They put a waistband. They shackle them. Put chains they drag on that old concrete floor. There'll be a guard on the right, guard on the left, and there'll be a supervisor out front. And that supervisor walks in front of this prisoner. And you know what that supervisor says? He goes down that long corridor there, Raleigh Central Prison. They used to, When they used to operate in this manner, they'd go way down that hallway. And that man's dragging those chains, coming out of that cell. That supervisor's out front. You know what he's saying? We got a dead man walking. We got a dead man walking. No eyes looking, no mouth talking. We got a dead man walking. You're in one of those cells on either side. Don't you talk to him. He's dead. It hadn't been carried out yet, but it's over. And there's people sitting in church every Sunday, and you've already been judicated. You're lost. I can't rescue you. Pastor can't rescue you. You've got children and grandchildren they are lost. And you can't rescue them. It's going to take God to cut those chains off. It's going to take God to bring them out and to life eternal. You need to know this is serious. It's eternity that God's talking about.